Hey guys, this is Nadine. At the end of the episode, you'll hear me tell you to visit us on our private Facebook group, She's Not a Slut Yet. Well, that's no longer the name because I changed it and I added an Instagram. The new Facebook group name is Snazzy Podcast, which is spelled S-N-A-S-Y Podcast, and the Instagram page is the exact same thing. That's all the updates for now. I hope you all enjoy the episode and revisit us next week for our first movie. This is John. And this is Dan. And this is She's Not a Slut Yet. This week we're going to be reviewing Scott Pilgrim vs. The World, which was made in 2010. This is actually not on the original uh, cult classic movie list that we compiled. This is one of the ones that we knew were cult classics, but for whatever reason, the movie website's left out as a cult classic movie. Um, so today, to start us off, Dan's going to give us some box office stats. All right, Dan, so I need some energy here. Pump them right, out. All right, put me put in the game, coach. Let's go. <laughs> this, uh, this movie did not do well at the box office. It made $31 million domestically, internationally $16 million. Lost about $30 million because it had like an $85 million budget. Which you can well. definitely notice when you watch the movie. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. definitely. They, they shelled out for special effects in this movie. Um, it did win 17 awards, however. So <laughs> and here we have... 64 nominations, too. Don't yeah, forget 64 that. 64 nominations, 17 awards, so... So I mean, quite, quite uh, well-renowned and critically acclaimed. So we have uh, 7.5 stars on IMDb. Rotten Tomatoes has an 82%. And for 84% for uh, the audience there. You got... Oh, my God, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, we're reading something, and that is not Dan's forte. <laughs> yeah. All right. So... I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to give you guys some interesting movie facts, which there is a shit ton for this movie. I actually had to take a lot out. Um, so first off, the four cast members that made up the band Sex Bob-omb spent several weeks learning how to play together as a band. However, uh, Michael Sarah had to learn how to dumb down his bass playing because apparently he's a pretty good bass player. So Edgar Wright, the director, actually did obtain permission to use the famous theme music from the SNES game. The Legend of Zelda, Zelda, A Link to the Past. I can't even say that. Jesus Christ. Um, and he did that by writing a letter to Nintendo saying that it is considered to be the nursery rhyme of this generation. So another thing that would be interesting for you guys to know is that it took 33 takes for Michael Sarah to throw the package over his shoulder and get it into the trash can. The director actually wanted him to do it himself instead of editing it in, even though there's so many special effects in this movie, because he wanted it to look realistic. However, when he got to the signature, when he signed for the package, that's actually edited in. It's not Michael Sarah writing it on, on the package. Yeah, I think that adds to the comedic effect, too. It really does. <laughs> there's a lot of interesting facts, so I'm going to try to start cutting some of them out. But the next one I did want to talk to you guys about is this fight scene between Scott Pilgrim and the first Evil X. It's actually done in a Bollywood-esque style. All the stunt doubles were the... Uh, second Evil X with Chris Evans is actually all of Chris Evans' stunt doubles. Those are all his real stunt doubles that he has in every movie. Um, the Evil X's number five and six, the twins, they actually don't speak a lick of English. They're from Japan, and they had to take out all of their dialogue in the movie, and they had to be pantomimed to in order to be able to actually act out the scene they were in. So Ramona's hair colors correspond with the colors of the three goddesses from the Legend of Zelda. You know, that I actually did pick up on. That, I am that not a Zelda fan, cool. so I did not pick up on that. I actually thought that was pretty cool, though, when I figured it out. I like Zelda. I noticed that. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Me and Dan both are kind of game geeks, so yeah. So the last two that I'm going to go over for you guys I thought was really interesting. So the first draft, the script for the film, was completed only after two of the six graphic novels for Scott Pilgrim were actually done. Um, and there is six titles that I have for you guys for those uh, graphic novels. This uh, movie is actually named after the second graphic novel, which is, that one's called Scott, Pil Scott Pilgrim versus the World. The first one is actually called Scott Pilgrim's Precious Little Life. The third is called Sp Scott Pilgrim and the Infinite Sadness. Uh, the fourth is Scott Pilgrim Gets It Together. 
fifth is Scott Pilgrim vs. the Universe. And then the last and final addition to that graphic novel series is Scott Pilgrim's Finest Hour. Um, another thing that I found that was really interesting that I thought you guys might want to know is that this film is actually an international co-production of Japan, Canada, the United Kingdom, and the United States. So in the original ending for both the comic and the movie, uh, Scott does stay with Knives Chow instead of going with Ramona, um, but both in the comic and in the movie, they decided to change that as Scott was fighting for Ramona the entire time. In the original comics, over a year period. In the movie, it's about three to four and a half week period. All right, so guys, I'm going to give you the synopsis today because I actually wrote it and there is a shit ton of information to give you. And I've watched this movie four times. <laughs> so the movie opens to Scott's bandmates talking about him dating a high school girl, Knives Chow, who then shows to watch his band practice. After band practice, Scott goes back to his apartment and tells his roommate Wallace, which is everyone's favorite character, let's be honest, and tells him about his high school girlfriend. Uh, then he tells Wallace, don't tell my sister because I don't want her to nag me about this. Of course, immediately after he tells Wallace not to do that, he gets a call from his sister. Next day, Scott has Wallace come with him so he can pick Knives up from high school. Scott and Knives actually have like a montage of hanging out. Scott kind of acts like a douche the whole time, like he's better than her when he's a 22-year-old loser who doesn't have a job, possibly going to get kicked out of his apartment, and is dating a 17-year-old high school girl instead of getting someone his own age. So after that, um, after you have that montage, you kind of go into this green like dreamscape, but you don't realize it's a dream. You think he's just hallucinating, and he's in this middle of this desert, and he goes, I'm so alone. And then you see Ramona, who at the time he has no idea who she is, rollerblade passive and go, you're not alone. You're just having a stupid dream. And he wakes up, takes knives to the library and sees Ramona there. And he's like, holy shit, this girl is real. And he's like, I can't believe that I have to find her. Of course, how is he going to find her? He doesn't even know who the fuck she is. But by fate, he actually ends up going to a party that night. And she is there. He finds that out from Como, who literally knows everyone. He kind of stalks her down the party talks her about Pac-Man. She's not impressed. Then he walks away and creepily stalks her through the entire party without really her knowing until she finally leaves and then interrogates everyone who he thinks might know her about her so he can find out more information. Once he does that, he uh, comes back to this house. He has like, you know, he tells Wallace that he's met this new girl um, and she's awesome uh, and that, you know, she's the girl from his dreams. I believe this is the period where Wallace actually comes in fucking drunk and he texts his sister while he's wasted. <laughs> so the next morning he wakes up Wallace and goes, um, what's, where, where do I go to get to Amazon.ca? And Wallace goes, Amazon.ca. <laughs> and he orders a package from Amazon because he finds out during the party that Ramona is actually... Um, works for Amazon and delivers packages for them. So he wants her to like come to his apartment so he can see her again. Uh, he sits in front of the door waiting for the package to come and Wallace is like, dude, you just order it. It's not going to come today. And he, the doorbell rings and he's like, you were saying, and then Knives shows up and he's like, oh, fuck, I forgot I had a girlfriend. <laughs> this is such a bad, bad, a bad movie person. for that. <laughs> Poor Knives. So he, again, has a montage of hanging out with him and Knives. But this time, it's different. It's not him, like, acting like a douche, like, oh, I feel better by being around this girl. It's him basically being like, all right, I'm done with this relationship because I found someone better, which is a shitty way to do I, things, I, but that's definitely what he it's did. It's just, I'm a douche. They do go to the band practice after he has that uh, montage of hanging out the whole day with her, and he finds out he's going to the Battle of the Bands, um, the Toronto's International Battle of the Bands, I think is what it's called, and they... Are go they have an option of being signed by G-Man Graves because he's like a record dealer. And they're like, look, if we win this, well, the band's got a shot. Scott doesn't even seem interested at this point with the Battle of the Bands. He's like annoyed with knives, even though he could have just broken up with her, but he didn't. Uh, excuses himself, goes to the bathroom. And as he's exiting the bathroom, we get back into that desert-like dream landscape. Again, he's gone to sleep, but we didn't even see him get home to do so. So it seems kind of like it might have been an hallucination, but it's really a dream. Except this is actually not the desert landscape. This one's actually the hallway. I forgot about that. They did the desert landscape twice only in this movie. So it's a high school hallway. He sees Ramona skate past him again, and he chases after 
after her. He turns the corner and he sees his front door. And that's the moment he wakes up and opens the door as she's ringing the doorbell. This is the part where it gets a little uncomfortable again because he kind of manipulates Ramona into going out on a date with him or at least hanging out with him uh, in order for her to just get his signature because she can't leave until he gives her his, her his signature so she can drop off the package. She agrees and they meet up that night for a date. Uh, they actually hit it off and they end up at his house because it's the middle of a snowstorm. At, not his house. Was it Ramona's house? It was at Ramona's house. <laughs> He also invites her to the Battle of the Bands uh, as she's rollerblading away, and she shows up that night to Battle of the Bands. He actually forgets that on the previous band practice that they had with uh, together that Knives said that he, she's literally going to be there with a bunch of friends. So Ramona and Knives show up at the same time. Knives jumps on Scott and gives him a kiss. He's so awkward about it that he's like, I've got to go, and then leaves. Doesn't give an explanation, doesn't really say much more than hi to either of them, and goes up on stage. And he realized that Knives and Ramona are kind of stalking now, so he, he freaks. He freaks out, because he's behind stage at this point. Once the other band comes off, his, the lead singer of the band that he's in is, like, freaking out. He's like, oh, fuck, we're not going to win. And he's like, no, we have to play, and we have to play loud now. At that point, everyone, Ramona and Knives and all of them, pay attention to him. Knives freaks out, because... You know, he's on the stage and then immediately faints. So she misses pretty much everything that comes up after this. In the middle of their performance, Ramona's first evil ex crashes through uh, the roof. And in the middle of their battle, Scott's like, are we fighting for Ramona? And he was like, yeah, I sent it in an email. He was like, yeah, he's like, didn't you get it? And he was like, I skimmed it. And he's like, I explained the situation to you. We're fighting for Ramona. I'm her evil ex. And he was like, what? And she's like, yeah, I dated him. And he's like, you actually dated him? And then she tells him the story. Of course, at the end of a Bollywood-like fight scene with four hipster demon chicks, uh, Matthew Patel does get killed. It's not really 100% sure. He explodes into coins. Anyway, at that point, okay, <laughs> Knives is still passed out from fainting. From, so she didn't even see his show. She just saw them play a few chords and pass the fuck out. Um, Ramona takes him before Knives wakes back up and brings him on the bus. And uh, she explains, I have seven evil exes, and in order for you to continue to date me, you would have to defeat all seven. You have six left to go. And it's like Scott didn't even fucking hear this because he's more excited about the fact that she considers them dating now. So Scott gets back to his apartment. He's super excited. And he tells, you know, Wallace that he's dating Ramona. And then he insists that Wallace insists at this point, you have to break up with knives. If you're going to be dating Ramona, you cannot date two girls. You have to break up with knives. Um, Your best friend. Yes. So Scott like was like, okay, I'll do that if you know, because otherwise Wallace is going to tell Ramona. The next day, uh, Scott does. He actually breaks up with knives the next morning and then goes on a date with Ramona that night. Ramona comes over for dinner at uh, Scott and Wallace's apartment. Wallace leaves because he is stalking a superstar named Lucas Lee. And he's going to go to the castle where they're actually doing a film production of his next movie. My boy, so Chris Evans. Chris Evans coming up. Um, so he tells Wallace, tells Scott right before he leaves. He's like, when you bungle it, come over to the castle. We'll watch the filming. <laughs> Which Scott does. And at that exactly. point, Ramona realizes that they're there for her second evil ex. And she's like, we should probably go. And he's like, so you dated someone famous? And she's like, yeah. And Chris Evan comes on screen. It sounds like he does a line in the movie. And then he points at Scott Pilgrim. And he's like, I'm talking to you, Scott Pilgrim. The only thing standing between me and her is you. The seconds that it takes to kick your ass. And then he starts a fight with him. While Scott Pilgrim is literally like, Hey, can I have your autograph? <laughs> yeah, he gets punched. He's like, can I have your bam punched in the face? Your autograph, please. Bam. <laughs> I think it's like pen and paper at one point. He does. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he does. And so Scott gets his ass kicked by not only Chris Evans, who plays Lucas Lee, the second evil ex, but also Chris Evans. Evans stunt doubles. Seven stunt doubles. Yep. yep. All seven of them. Scott beats the, the stunt doubles and then does try to fight Chris Evans, but of course he wins because, let's be honest, guys, he's better. So Scott realizes really quickly that he actually can't defeat Lucas Lee, Chris Evans, basically, and uh, he's like, all right, I have to trick him. So 
Lucas Lee is a huge skateboarder. He has a skateboard company. He used to be a pro skateboarder before it became an Some actor. Skateboard company tattoo. On he his does. Chest. And so he tricks him and uses his pride against him to do a trick on extremely long steps and railings. He tells him to do a grindy thingy down the steps. And of course, at first, you know, Lucas Lee is like, no, you're not going to trick me. He's like, but girls are here. And he's like, okay, I'll do it. So he goes down, and they, there's a huge sequence of him grinding down there's the rails. There's a montage of yep. dope-ass rail grinds. And then he right fails before. right at the end, and he explodes. And Scott yeah, Pilgrim goes... Yeah, and then you see the explosion in the distance. And Wallace is like, did you get his autograph? No, Scott literally goes, doesn't say... That Wallace doesn't say it. Scott goes, oh, shit, I didn't get his autograph. <laughs> 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 oh, so he kills a movie a movie star just so you guys know and then at that point he goes he just kills chris evans yeah. he just kills chris evans he goes back uh to ramona and see ramona and she is bailed on him he's like what the fuck what the hell is this going on here so he calls her and he called her for like i guess uh, several times because you can see him calling her again the next morning um <clears throat> and she didn't answer so, of course, you know, Knives shows up to his apartment. He <laughs> jumps out the fucking window to avoid her. The, okay, this, this scene is actually a meme. I, I kid you not. It's where it's open the door. Is he here? And then you literally see him duck behind the door in panic. And Wall slowly shuts it. He's like, no, I'm sorry. He's not here. And then she's like, aw, do you know when he'll be back? And you see him dive through the fucking upper top window and shatter the window. And she has absolutely no idea. In clear, plain sight. He's like, yeah, I'm sorry. Um, I think he just left. Actually, I think he, yeah, he just left. He's like, aw, and then he reaches a hand back in through the window and grabs the coat <laughs> and walks. And then her. looks at looks at the looks at the door, panics, and then like turns and runs. And then you see him running behind her as she's waiting for him at the front door, just panicked. I'm like, come on, that is just really good comedy right there. So. At this point, Scott is freaking out because Ramona hasn't called back. He's getting stalked by knives. Uh, he goes to the coffee shop that she works at, but she literally just left. And he gets stuck with Julie, who literally works every fucking job in this goddamn movie. <laughs> yeah, so, she does. Uh, and Julie gets pissed at him because that was the party he was at. And she told him at her party, dude, don't fucking date Ramona. But don't go after her. And you didn't listen to me. She's the coolest girl at my party. I'm fucking pissed at you. He sees Ramona there and Ramona goes, I'm really sorry about my exes. You know, if you don't want to see me anymore, it's OK. And Scott, being a dumbass, says, no, it's fine. I'm OK with it. Still not realizing that he's going to have to fight a million and one evil exes just to get with her because he's already almost died twice. Um, so, you know, at that point, uh, they're, they're good to go, except as they're talking, he sees his ex, Envy, um, standing behind them. And she says, you know, I'm jealous of Ramona, you know, officially jealous. You should come see our secret show. And Scott says, no, that's not going to happen. And so Envy kind of manipulates the band into opening up for them at her secret show. So they can get more, you know, notoriety. Uh, Scott is pissed about this, of course, even though this would be great for the band. And if they do get a record label, he'd make a lot of money. He and was literally trying to sabotage his own band the entire movie. Entire movie. Right? And so the band's like, no, we're going. So Scott obviously does go, uh, you know, to the opening. They play. Um, they go back you know, they're, they're at the bar, they're watching the band play. And then after the band, after Envy's band plays, they get called backstage. Ramona quickly figures out, you know, during the time that the band is playing that her third evil ex is now dating Scott's ex. <laughs> and it's very tense behind the backstage. Ramona's like, we should probably get going. And, uh, Envy and Todd make it as so as they have to continue basically having a conversation with them and they can't really leave. So Knives uh, pisses off Envy because she keeps talking. Knives is actually there with young Neil, the guy who replaces Scott every now and then when Scott really doesn't feel like playing the bass. <laughs> and um, so Todd, the third evil ex, punches the highlights out of uh Knives' hair. Scott gets pissed off and starts a fight with him without realizing that he is a vegan and has vegan powers. 
So at this point, the band members are like, all right, dude, we're out. We're going to get pizza. When you're all done doing whatever the fuck you're doing, we'll meet up with you. <laughs> and so um, Scott gets his ass basically handed to him by Todd. Of to course, be fair, he's a vegan. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously, that's exactly what it is. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> The amount of special effects they gave this 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 fucking scene was just—he looks like a super it was, saiyan. Oh, it literally made him. Yes, yes, it did. Because <laughs> he started glowing from the eyes. He started getting like energy aura around him. It was freaking fantastic. And the base battle. Ah, okay. I'm sorry. Go ahead. So Scott, same thing with Lucas Lee. Has figures out that he's going to have to trick Todd into losing his vegan powers. Uh, in order to be able to win this. So what he does is he has him drink half and half. Once he ha- tricks him into drinking half and half and coffee, uh, the vegan police show up and de-veganize him. <laughs> so basically, uh, he loses his powers and Scott one-shots him by headbutting him and he bursts into a bunch of coins. Uh, Envy is really upset with Scott. Scott apologizes he, for it because he basically... You know, he killed her boyfriend. Yeah, he killed her boyfriend. And calls her by her real name, and she's just like, no one calls me that anymore. And he goes, well, you know, they probably should, because that's your name. (laughs) Um, And then they leave. At this point, Scott is getting kind of pissy about having uh, to fight all these exes. It literally took half the movie for him to, to, to get to the point where he's like, okay, I might actually have, you know, this might be an actual issue. So they all go to the beach shop together. You know, he's got a can of, I think, Coke on his head because he had butted Todd to oblivion. Diet Coke, <laughs> nevertheless, which Diet is constantly Coke. Coke zero. Diet Coke Zero. Yeah. Diet Coke Zero, that's it. Yeah. Um, and so they are like, all right, well, we're going to have to go to the after party because then we can talk to, you know, the record labels. Scott is kind of being passive aggressive at this point. The entire walk to the after party and then also in the after party itself. He was being a dick. Yeah. He was being pretty much a dick. I kind of understand why at this point, though, because he is basically having to fight a million and one exes. This is not his issue in order to just be with this girl. But he could have ended it in the beginning after the first fight, to be honest with you. Or maybe read the email that the guy sent him. <laughs> that would have worked, too. Um, so... Scott and Ramona kind of get in a bit of a fight and he keeps going like, I don't understand what this evil ex-boyfriend thing and she's just evil ex. It's just evil ex. And he's like, why do you keep saying that? And then he gets punched in the fucking face by a girl. Now, this is another part that's kind of uh, a little uncomfortable because Ramona's like, it was just a phase. It didn't mean anything. I didn't think it counted, which is not really how it works in relationships. So the girl actually starts to fight Scott, but Ramona steps in. Ramona does fight her for a period of time until the Roxy, her ex-girlfriend, tells her, like, look, you can't defeat me. This is a league thing. Scott has to defeat me. Scott's like, I can't hit a girl. So Ramona fights for him with his hands until finally they get separated by her and he defeats Roxy by touching the back of her knee and she explodes into a billion coins from an orgasm. So this is where it starts to pick up a lot even even faster. He's like knocking out an X's left and right at this point. He and Ramona get into a fight. He's like, you know, I don't understand why I have to fucking fight these people. Can I just have a list for the next time someone is trying to kill me, he's like, also for my, you know, my life, just so I know, you know, for morbid curiosity. How for my not- mortal well-being, mortal I need well- a laminated list. And he asked her also, have you, who did you sleep with as in this entire party? Which is fucked up. That's, that's a shitty thing to say. But she yeah, does come it. back with a laminated list for him. And he looks on it. <laughs> Yeah. He looks on it and it says the Katayanagi twins. And he's like, who the fuck is that? Obviously, Scott is a horrible bandmate because that's the next person that his band is going to have to face off in the battle. And Wallace just casually mentioned she slept with twins. So they actually do have the battle of bands. And the guys figure out they're going to have to play at the same time as the other band. It's Amp versus Amp. So when they get in there, they start playing against the uh, Katayanagi twins. And the twins have dragons that come out of their speakers that actually knock out the band at first but scott's like no i want to end this let's kick their asses makes everyone play again and then they have their own monster that comes out of their amps which kills the dragons and drops all the speakers on top of the twins kind of a shitty way to go so 
from here, Scott knows that Ramona's in the crowd and she's talking to a guy. She he tries to follow her outside and she he, he tells her that he's in lesbians with her. He means in love with her, but for whatever reason he can't actually say that word. <laughs> and she's like, Okay, well, um, we have to break up because I am getting back with Gideon. I just can't help myself around him. Gideon's kind of a douche in this scene. He does sign the band. Scott refuses because his pride is hurt, and obviously his feelings are hurt, too. Um, so they just sign without him. They sign without him. <laughs> young Neil signs in his place, basically. And, and Young band, Neil is so excited. He's like, oh, my God. Because yeah, he wasn't <laughs> really ready to go. part of the band before, but now he is. And Scott kind of mopes around. They make it seem like it might be a couple-day mope just because... It, some time does pass between then and him getting home to the apartment. He does get home to the apartment. Wallace goes like, look, dude, uh, I'm basically kicking you out at this point. You can move in with Ramona. And Scott tells him, well, Ramona went back to Gideon. He's like, well, that sucks. The fight's over. Of course, at that point, that's when Gideon calls for Scott and invites him to the new band, the band's show, because they're having like a coming out party for them, like, you know, being signed. And uh, it's kind of a dick about it on the phone. Wallace, of course, is listening on the other end and says, what a perfect asshole. Finish him. So Scott goes there and he is ready to the fight for Ramona. His band literally is like, dude, just let it go. And he's like, no, I'm going to fight for her. And Gideon says, hey, um, you know, which is the seventh evil X. I don't know if I said that already. <laughs> he says, hey. Uh, why do you, why are you fighting with me? Are you fighting with me for her? And he says, is that not clear? And then he looks at his bandmates and he goes, did I not make that clear? <laughs> and he's, Gideon goes, why would you want to fight for her? And he goes, cause I'm in love with her. At that point you have like power a, of love. Yeah. An announcer announces Scott has earned the power of love and a fucking flaming gives- red katana <laughs> comes out of his chest. <laughs> and at the bottom left, when he unsheaths it from his chest, he gets really shitty stats, like plus one love, plus two strength, or like plus, or like minus two respect, like all of that, and he's just looking at it like, what? And so he starts to fight Gideon, and he's getting his fucking ass kicked. Uh, at one point, while he's fighting Gideon, um, Knives shows up, blocks Gideon's like basically mortal like hit because he was going to kill Scott because he had broken Scott's sword and Knives starts to fight with Ramona. She <laughs> thinks that Ramona stole her boyfriend and Scott has to try to like fix this. So he knocks Gideon off of him, goes up to the girls and say, hey, I didn't like she didn't steal you. I dated her, you and then I dated her. But I may have forgotten to tell you that I was dating her. And the girls are like, so you cheated on us? And he's like, well, I didn't cheat on you. And then Gideon comes At least cheated the- on her, points the knives. <laughs> and she, Ramona makes it pretty clear that, like, what's the difference? Like, we both didn't know about each other. So technically speaking, you're cheating on both of us. And Gideon then comes from up from behind and stabs Scott in the heart through the back. Uh, and then the, uh, the, both of them are like, oh, no. And then it just doesn't show them anymore. <laughs> Yeah, Scott goes into his dreamscape where he's in the middle of the desert and Ramona shows up and he Scott's basically just being like, uh, you know, why Gideon? And she's like, I can't help myself around him. You know, I was obsessed with him and he could care less about me. So I decided that in order to make myself better, I had to get myself out of this situation and start my life over again. So I left him and that's when he started to pay attention. And now, and then she says, you know, I just can't help myself around him and shows there's a chip at the bottom back of her skull to Scott. And Scott's like, well, fuck, I thought I had a real shot with you now because I see there's a chip there. You're not really having your own choice, but I'm dead. And she's like, you have an extra life. You won one after you beat the twins. And he's like, oh yeah. (laughs) So at that point, Scott comes back to life, starts back off in the apartment, comes back to the show with, by the way, I I just want to add in because this, uh, we haven't really gone over it at all, but this is a very game. Like, like, this entire thing's supposed to be modeled like game. Like he gets points when he beats one of the X's. They're going to know that when, he, when they watch it. There's no way you haven't heard I just, of Scott. Pilgrim I just, wanted to, I just wanted to mention the reason why he came back to life is because he got a, a basically a one-up. He got one more life right after he killed the twins. <laughs> so anyway, the Scott shows back up. He tells the band they sound even better with their set now and that you, young Neil is now just known as Neil and should stay in the band. He also apologizes Kim, who's the band's drummer, because he had dated her in high school and broke her heart in kind of a shitty way. 
And she seems to forgive him because that's the first time he's actually apologized. He also, uh, you know, goes up to Gideon and says, you know, what, I'm going to fight. And Gideon goes, you're going to fight me for Ramona. And he says, no, I'm going to fight you for me. And he earns the power of self-respect. And this time, instead of a red flaming sword coming out of his chest, it's a purple flaming sword coming out of and his chest. And the stats are 10 times better in the bottom left. Hell yeah, it they says, are. Instead of like minus one for like self-respect, it goes plus eight, self-respect, strength, plus 10. And I'm like, oh my God. Once Scott, you know, pulls the sword out, he actually hits Gideon one time and injures him and then calls out to Knives because he knows that she's there. Of course, she still, like, attacks Ramona. And then he goes, stop. I cheated on both of you. I'm sorry for cheating on both of you. It was a shitty thing to do. Uh, You guys shouldn't be fighting. Knives at that point, for whatever fucking reason, despite the fact he just told her that he cheated on her, joins his side and helps him beat Gideon. They do kill Gideon. And uh, the movie kind of just dies down at this point. The ending is a little bit um, quick. They beat Gideon. Yeah, quick quick and curt. They beat Gideon. They all go outside. Knives kind of has a moment with Scott. And then Ramona kind of says, you know, I'm leaving. I'm going to move away again because I need to start my life over again. I kept trying to run from my past and I kept coming back. And now that it's finally over, I want to start over. You're a nice guy and that's what I needed. But it's time for me to move on. Basically. And so Scott gets upset. Knives is like, look, I'm too cool for you. Go after Ramona. And he does. And they leave together in a door that was in the middle of the fucking road. And that's the end. (laughs) Okay. Okay. That was the general synopsis. Because there's so much. So, so many golden moments and also really horrific moments in this film to go over like unbelievable amounts of content to technically yeah. enjoy or disapprove of. Yeah. It's, it's only over like 90 minutes, the movie, but no, it's, just... it's, an, it's an hour and 52 minutes long. It's is a two it? hour movie. Uh-huh. It is nearly two hours long. And we're already at this point in this podcast. I think like I started it really early. So I think we're like a half an hour into this podcast. So, and <laughs> it's, we, we, like, just got half an hour to 40 minutes into this podcast. We just got through the synopsis. That's how big this movie was. Every single little piece in the synopsis that I gave you was something that I tried to, like, you kind of needed to know because the storyline is so fucking complicated. And oh I even left God. out things. Yeah, so there's, since we're going to be review, reviewing it now, now after we've gone over the synopsis, yes, that was just the synopsis, not the review. I just want to go out and say one thing. This movie is a fever dream of complete and utter fever dream and a half. That's 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 John's. I have three fucking like ideas. I know you have this, but what I see this as and she wrote down her ideas, but I, I just I had thoughts when I watched the movie and I've been waiting to basically go over this. The biggest conclusion I've come down to is. Comic adaptations, one-to-one, when brought into a movie, create something that is not called a masterpiece, and it's not a failure. It's just a work of unique art, is really. And that's not a good thing. That's not a bad thing. It's just its own little movie off in the distance. And I fully understand why this is a cult classic after watching it. Oh, completely. Yeah. I mean, but you said you think it's like a fever dream, right, John? It is. It is. It's so disjoint. It's so disjointed. A lot of it just does not make sense unless you read deep into it and you try and pull things out of it. It literally seems like, you know, they put a lot of editing effort into the movie. Good sween, sween, scene switches. Yeah. And everything just kind of coalesces into this really weird fever dream of a movie because you can miss 15 minutes of this movie and still have no idea what the fuck is going on. So, Dan, before I get into my crazy theories, what did you have to say about this movie? No, I mean, this movie is beautiful, and I love the dialogue. And, like, it's it's weird, because if you read too much into it, you can go on, like, a a rabbit hole of, like, theories and kind of pick apart. (laughs) Way to just throw Nadine under the bus. (laughs) Thanks, Dan. Like, if you read thing. into it, you can go into these rabbit hole of the theories and Nadine's over there like looking down at her paper like, ah, shit. <laughs> I do. I well, have no, a very lot of like paper. <laughs> I, think, I think that's a good thing. But also, like, if you just, if you kind of like 
look at the story, it's it's pretty stupid. The the entire movie was stupid. Yeah. So so like you either I think you have either just have to like experience this movie just like as like a visual and just kind of go be along with the the, the roller coaster ride. Or you can like dive into this. And I think that kind of feeds into like the cult so that's what we'll get into, but um that's that's kind of my take on this movie. Okay. You guys ready for this? I'm going to give you uh, crazy <laughs> theories. The guy who originally wrote the six graphic novels also helped with this movie. And neither him or the director ever came out and said whether or not Scott was living in a video game world or if he was living in his own fucking world that he's created. There's a lot of theories for this one. And I actually ended up going online. Usually when we do these podcasts, I don't actually look at what anyone's theory for what the movie meant simply because I don't want it to affect how I think of the movie when I'm watching the movie or when I'm reviewing the movie. This time, however, I did because the movie is so out there and it's so fucking complicated and there's so many different ways you can go with it that I was just kind of curious to see what the director and the person who made this, you know, comic book thought. They didn't give anyone any answers. So it is literally up to us, the fans, to just tear it apart and figure out, you know, what what world Scott is living in. One of the theories, which I kind of think would be really interesting, is that Scott is actually living in a a video game. And every character that he meets is a side character to help him along with his quest. It's like him being, you know, in The Legend of Zelda or Mario. This is actually a, like, a movie, and even the graphic novel has a lot of references to, you know, Zelda. They have the Zelda songs in the game. Mm -hmm. They have the graphics from Zelda for the video game stats and things like that inside the movie. So what I'm thinking, personally, <laughs> is that the seven evil exes are bosses. The final boss is obviously Gideon. Ramona and the, is... And the save the princess type of deal. Yeah. Right. Save the princess trope. She's in the tower. At the end, she's on top of a giant pyramid in the middle of a room <laughs> that Scott has to go up to get to her. All the doors are the loading screens that they have to go through. Through, I think it's uh, the door for Ramona's place where they ended up just being in the middle of nowhere it goes into a white screen and then you end up somewhere else. It's like a loading screen to a different world. You also have, um, you know, like those, those dreams. Those dreams are basically like the quest telling you what to do, those stops in the story. So the first dream was like you have to find this girl, you have to meet this girl. The second dream where he's thinking about the package is, okay, you have to have this conversation with this girl. That's your next quest, to have this conversation with this girl. And then from there every side character is basically moving along the story so that at the end he finally does beat the boss and he gets the girl because that's what a video game does. Um, Dan, you were right. You <laughs> definitely went down a rabbit hole. I did. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> There's two other... I, I take things a lot more at face value when I watch movies. And that's something I've noticed as well, Nadine, is we've reviewed, like, what, four movies at this point? Yeah. Yeah, and every single time you find them this deep underlying meaning that none of us really notice, but it's definitely there. I'm not done. And I feel like this is one of those movies that you really do have to take it face value or you're going to be really lost. Okay, so uh, I actually am not done yet because I think there's a couple of, there's other theories that are out there too. The one theory that I had is just mine, and I think the most plausible one is that he's in the video game world, but other people think that he might be schizophrenic. Because he's having these, like, visions, and he's having these crazy uh, themes of grandeur where he has people who are after them, you know, in order to get to, to be with this girl, which is something that does happen with schizophrenia. The only reason why I feel like that's not accurate is because Scott is a character who has, like, no concept of what's going on in the world around him. He it takes him up to the third X to really realize this is a problem. He actually had to be explained multiple times that he had seven evil exes coming after him because he was dating Ramona. <laughs> and he multiple times he is told that he is going to get kicked out of the apartment and he never tries to get a fucking job. This guy does does not want to see reality. So I don't think it's schizophrenia in that point because if it, it was... It might be something kind of like, uh, like, you know, the Joker, right? Like the most recent Joker film? I didn't see um, it. Yeah, I didn't see that either. You... Oh, dear. Right. So I can tell you guys right now that most recent Joker film is one of my favorite movies I think I've ever watched. I don't like DC. <laughs> it legitimately doesn't matter. I personally don't like DC either. And it's still one of my favorite films I've ever watched. 
And there's very similar theories that go through that movie, as I'm technically seeing with this, very loosely. But one of them is everything is happening in a mental ward, and he's just dreaming about this right now. See, I don't think it's a dream with him. I don't actually think, and there's people who think that. I think it's a guy who had a really bad breakup, and instead of trying to pull himself together and get his life together afterwards just to basically show her up, he let the depression that came in after the breakup kind of take over his life, and and his he was bored with his life, and he's self-centered and naive and young and stupid, so instead of trying to make himself young better... Young and stupid. Cause he's you know I'm only two years older than this man, yeah, right? Yeah, but you're more mature than he is, by, like, far. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he's not a... Uh, he's not someone who has grown up. And he's 22 no, years old, old, dating a 17-year-old. He literally is going through life, and he doesn't want to see reality of life. So my one theory, which, again, I really feel like it's he's just living in a video game world. My one theory is that he's someone who's just really, really depressed, bored with his own fucking life. And so to make his life more interesting so that he doesn't actually have to live real reality, he makes everything seem bigger than it is in his head. So when you're watching this, this, he is pretending that the fight scenes that he has are even bigger. The people probably aren't actually even dying because nobody even really sees this as people dying. Nobody gives a shit that like someone just exploded into coins because it's probably in his imagination because he probably yeah. plays a shit ton of video games I and doesn't actually give any time. I 100% disprove that with a couple of scenes where they dive down and grab the coins. Yeah. I, I definitely feel like that's true, but like... But then again, that like, could be his imagination, them diving down to get the coins because no one reacts to the people actually dying. The person... So they're telling me it's kind of like yeah, that really, really does. dumb friend of yours that everyone's just like... Oh, you know, he's just a little unique, you he's know? He's in his own world. Yeah. He's in his own world, but, like, you're really nice to him, and, like, it's fun to be around, but sometimes you get this weird vibe. That's him. Basically. Except the press. Basically Dan. <laughs> why, why was I thinking that, too? <laughs> Except Dan's yeah. not really depressed, and he doesn't do that. He's just really shy. I'm also not an asshole, I don't think. Yeah, but that's, <laughs> but that's what I'm saying. Like, I feel like he's. it's not, like... It's one of those things where, like, he is super depressed and super bored with his life. And so in order to make his life more interesting, instead of actually living in reality and trying to make himself better, he makes a fake world so that he feels better about himself. Because it's all about him. It's not about anyone else. He's not actually willing to grow, get a job, or make anything better for himself. He just wants to make things seem better for him. Okay. Okay. I really like the positive notes that you tried to throw this movie in. I'm going to start throwing in some negative stuff because okay. this movie, if you go into detail, yes, you can formulate a very strong plot line into something that's dark and sinister. This, in my opinion, has the same energy and the same fever dream quality as weird science. I'm actually going to put those two almost equal when it comes to basically how the story and stuff progresses. It is so chaotic. There is so, there's a, definitely a main storyline, but you only really catch on to that as soon as Scott Pilgrim does, like an hour in. I was so confused. There's so many minor things that happen during the movie that kind of lead you into a general direction, but it's just pure chaos. Now, I don't think... I really don't think that the person that made this really should have made it in the first place. And that sounds really bad to say that the way that he did when you'd bring out a comic. And I know you guys have read comics before, you know how like there's a disjoint between a lot of comics because you can hit 13 hours later and then it actually shows something that, you know, is really cool. And you don't think about the time in between that doesn't work for movies. You need a full understanding and not, 50 different time skips or, you know, almost like a lost in his own world type of deal. There was so many of those where I was like, Oh yeah, cool. Wow. He killed him. And then out of nowhere, he wakes up next to his three friends that have all been basically banging each other on the bed. And he's like, guys, I don't think I know what's going on. And they all get off shirtless and they're like, yeah, dude, that's weird. You know? Oh, by the way, this is Scott. The other Scott. And it's just like, I think they just really had fun with this movie and didn't really think about the consequences of putting it into a movie format. 
And all of the really wow. good actors that joined into this movie joined in because they liked Scott Pilgrim, the comic and didn't care what the movie was actually going to do. I don't think anyone truly cared about the movie itself. They were just happy to be there. My honest opinion, negative wise. What do you think? Do you any, what's your no, negative I, I, opinions I on this? That's a little uh, aggressive on it, but I, I will say that I do see some ties to the uh, weird science because like, it is kind of like a fantasy from the perspective of kind of like a geeker game, gamer type that's kind of nerdy and he has all these like women fighting over. So I, th- I think there is an aspect of to that that you, you're, not, you're on there, there, John. But I think this is actually the actual like filming of this I think is amazing. Like there's so many little Easter eggs. There's like so, so many like the dialogue it sounds like it's from a comic book but it, it works as a film for me. Traditionally, Michael Sarah plays in a lot of movies that are like this as well. Yeah. And since he is the main character, I, I guarantee he had a lot of effect on that stuff. Actually, yeah. they picked him because they thought he would be best for the movie because of how he acts in his other movie. He had no effect on the movie with that. The movie was already was what it was because of the comic. The graphic novel was not even done being you know made when they made the movie. Um, and I'm pretty sure the guy who made the graphic novel helped out with the script for that that movie they did it as if it was a comic coming to life and it has a lot of music influence in it it has a lot of video game influence into it um in the comics themselves and then obviously the movie is basically a comic format with a lot of video game and music influences the main character scott pilgrim comes from a band called plum tree where they had a name of the song called scott pilgrim so like it's just one of those things okay okay i could see it like that I still can't paint the picture in a colorful light, but for me, that is definitely my opinion. However, Nadine, that's the negative stuff. Don't get me started on how much hilarious stuff there is. Now, I do want to. I want to preface this a little bit. Um, what are your guys' favorite scenes Wallace and favorite scenes. characters? Wallace scenes. <laughs> well, what's your favorite scene? I'll, I'll go. I, I think my favorite scene has to be the. Uh... The, the whole vegan scene, like yes. the studio or, or like backstage and talking. There's like so many little like hilarious things that happen in that sequence. And I, that out of like the, the bosses or the exes, like that number three, Todd is like my favorite, favorite one. He's also played Superman. And it's funny cause he's dating Captain Marvel. That is pretty funny. I actually <laughs> didn't know that. Yep. Huh. Uh, um, what about you, Go John? Ahead, What's your favorite, you said? My favorite scene is definitely the one where Wallace is basically any scene that's Wallace-related. Pretty much me, too. I think, I mean, it's very hard for me to choose between them, but I think uh, him managing to... Uh, what's what's uh, Scott Pilgrim's like uh, sister's name? Stacy. So Stacy brings her boyfriend along. And Wallace steals her boyfriend. She's like, not again. Like that, I, that, That's probably one of my favorite scenes, too. Because that is by far my favorite. Because literally, then he becomes a recurring sleepover gay character. Yeah. Like, Wallace, in my opinion, I want a movie about him and him alone. I said the same thing in my notes. I literally was like, oh, yeah. let's talk about Wallace. And then I listed all the things in my notes of what I love about Wallace. And I was like, honestly... Honestly, I would rather have a movie about Scott about Wallace instead of Scott Pilgrim. Not that this movie yes. is bad, but Wallace Maybe is such a Maybe like a different perspective, like movie. just yeah. Wallace's point of view on this movie. Yeah. Like yeah, during Pilgrim. his 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 like his point of view on what he does during the movie while Scott Pilgrim's going off in his in his fucking wonderland. Yeah, cuz um, Wallace is the best character. He literally he's he's kind of a dick. He says it how it is and he just keeps going. Like he literally is like making fun of the band guys when they play like a two second song he's like that's fucking it and they're like this is to the guy that keeps shouting from the balcony he's like great i really love this one <laughs> yeah i i don't know man i just yeah scott program is the worst character in the entire movie and like, he's the, the main side character characters oh yeah another my second favorite character and this is one that i actually struggle with a lot because overall such a basic bitch character like just a basic, basic character that's just nonstop fangirling. I actually like Knives the second most, and I will tell you why. I don't like her as a character 
But I imagine her in a real life scenario and everyone would just have a better life if they had someone that always supported them. And always like, can you imagine you do something and the person that you're with fangirl so hard they faint? Excuse me? Like that's that's awesome. Now I don't know if I'd like that. Yeah, that I wouldn't would like be that. Cool. <laughs> That'd be too over much. the top, so into you in every possible way that just being near you, like, is just an experience for them, right? Nadine, you don't have to fangirl over me, even though. Right <laughs> now, that's my job, Dan. <laughs> so, I think I, I think I like the support portion of it because, yeah. like, Dan and I have a relationship like that where we just support each other no matter what. It's the best one it's that we've funny ever had. Funny because I brought you two together. It is kind of funny. That was me. That was, yeah, that that was John. <laughs> that, that, yeah, that you planted some seeds. Yeah. That sounds really bad, actually. I don't think it's the correct terminology. I planted <laughs> seeds in both of you. No. <laughs> it's, it's a fair... Never mind. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. So back to the movie. Um, so there's a lot of golden lines in this movie. Like, I'm talking... You, you said there were some good lines in Weird Science. This movie... Took it by spades when it comes to Golden Lines. There were some really, really, really good ones. Now, of course, the moment that I say that, I can't actually remember any. But just like that, um, what is it? uh, Well, it's not again. And turns into uh, see him making out with her boyfriend. Like, there's just so many comedic genius. But the problem is that I have with it, even though there's all that Golden Lines and all those amazing comedy moments, I can't enjoy cringe humor cringe humor is so difficult for me to watch that it makes it unenjoyable and there was so much of that in the first 70 percent of this movie the last little bit is just i think they ran out of time and they're like okay shit we we have three more exits let's just let's just go through them you know but like there was so much cringe humor in the first half first 70 percent of the movie that it forced me to struggle to the very very beginning middle and part of the way to the end like, I just did not enjoy the majority of the of the cringe stuff. Now, alleviating that would be Wallace. Wallace's humor is the only reason why I made it through, pretty much. And and the hopes of seeing Chris Evans. I don't know, just Chris Evans fangirling. I, I'm, I'm knives chow for Chris Evans. I'll just say that right now. Yeah, but an early exit. And it's funny because in the table read, as soon as, like, uh, I, there's, like, a YouTube 10-year anniversary table read of it. And after he dies, he just, like... Ends a Zoom call. It's like, oh, <laughs> Chris Evans is gone. <laughs> That's actually pretty cool. I like that. Um, but there's that's the positive comedic vibes. But when you really look at this, like from another standpoint, this came out at a time that probably was not the best time for this to come out. If this came out in the 1990s, Perfect. hell, even the 1980s, this would be the movie of the year. Well, maybe not there would 1980s. Be so many people. I think... Well, like, let's say you, let's say you dumb down everything outside of the over the top, um, like new humor. Right. But during like that time period, this movie was shown in spades because nowadays a lot of the humor is not appreciated anymore, which I think is one of the leading factors that led this movie to death. Um, and that is right off the bat underage underage dating there are um way too many sexual innuendos in this in this movie that aren't really the funny ones but they're kind of like okay um i do feel like uh the cheating aspect is not good there is you know the orgies that are happening like all this stuff that is implied i don't think is really appreciated as much nowadays unfortunately and that was actually one of the killers for me is not only is he dating someone underage, which a lot of Twitch streamers and YouTubers have just recently got banned for, but he also cheated on her. Like, excuse me? And the amount of racist Chinese jokes that casually floated by her head. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there was a lot of... Oh, my God. Are you sure your parents will be okay with me? And she's like, yeah, of course. Why wouldn't they? You know, because I'm a white boy, you know, dating people outside of your race. Like, what is that? <laughs> yeah, there's some cultural appropriation going on, especially with, like, the, the Indian ex that, like, dances to Bollywood music. Well, or it's the fact that Knives Chow a... has a traditional um, Chinese assassin outfit. 
Okay, that one is really racist. The Bollywood scene, I think, is actually just supposed to be a nod to Bollywood because it's literally exactly like a Bollywood scene, if you've ever seen one. I don't know if you guys have. All right, I'll give it that, but... Yeah. It, it, there, there's a lot of uh, racist innuendos in this movie. And again, that could definitely be appreciated back then, but I feel like that's one of the reasons that led to this movie kind of just floating under the radar is because the people that watched it didn't really feel inclined to share it with people because it's one of those movies that's really hard to uh, express to another person. It's actually, you can't go out and say this is a great movie. Because so, I think it's a good movie, but it's not the one I would really be inclined to talk about too much after I watch it. It's actually, I think, the time period that it came out in was actually perfect for it, except for the chaoticness of the movie. I think at the time that it came out, there wasn't as many movies that were as chaotic as this, whereas now we have a lot of movies and pictures that are way more chaotic. And I think the chaos is actually what did it in. Because you got to remember also, at the time... We were just starting really, you know, accepting people who were, you know, bisexual. And there's a lot of bisexual stuff in there. But we also still were doing things that was really dumb, like leading people on who were gay because we were bi-curious or because we were just experimenting without actually ever really discussing it and just being mm-hmm. like, well, I thought it didn't count. You know, that's just kind of like a so that wouldn't fly now at all in any this movie. Is also, yeah, this is also the time period where animated movies were literally at their peak. It was. So when people see something like this, I guess they look at it and they're like, why don't I just go ahead and watch, you know, fucking Toy Story 3 or something. I'm not sure when that came out, but, you know, you get you get my gist. Like this is around the time period where the animated movies are at their peak and seeing something that looks like it's trying to be an animated movie um, kind of most likely killed it. Plus, I'm not sure if you guys are aware. Have you seen the poster for this? I think I have. I think so. Let me let me look it up again because it's 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 interesting. I'm gonna sh- I'm gonna share this just so you guys can take a look at this. Please tell me right now, does this not look like your traditional um, Diary of a Wimpy Kid almost thing? Like it just doesn't look like it would be that. I would not be inclined to watch this by that poster. That de- poster definitely did not do it justice. It yeah, really I, didn't. I feel like Spy Kids or something like. Yeah. Yeah, like they have they have different integrations of this poster depending on where you're at because you know this this was released internationally, but like even the other ones, that one looks even worse. Like it's like. That was a little more accurate just, to the movie though. Yeah, I feel like this, yeah. this movie probably was not marketed very well, and I think that's why the uh, the box yeah. office took a huge hit. But I just I can't genuinely like. I don't know. I have a very hard time taking this movie as seriously as I feel like they wanted us to because they didn't want us to take it seriously per se, but they wanted us to truly like enjoy what is going on. But a lot of it was, uh, a lot of it was very difficult for me to go through. Now I will say I definitely appreciate all, appreciated all the game stuff. I'm very happy about that, but it definitely was cringy to watch as well. Dan. Yeah. I know. Like, for this movie, like, the music, the whole gaming reference, even, like, I liked a lot of the comic book, like, dialogue stuff. So it, it's it's pretty. It, it's, it was, oh, it was yeah. a fun this ride This movie was very pretty. Yeah. All right, so, guys. Oh, Dan, finish up. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. That, that's why, like, I, I think I think favorably just because it – the way, like, it puts itself together better than the actual plot of Yes. Some of the parts are equal to a better movie. The editing, the editing, the um, uh, the CGI input, and the art style. And also the differing different types of art styles that they've thrown in. Like the scene where um, it, it went into... It basically went into um, like her thinking or whatever it was about her previous ex or whatever and how they met. And it suddenly went into a 2D drawing that was moving. That type of stuff, I think, is what saved the movie. Well, on that's top the, of the original comedy, comics. Like the good comedy. Those are the yes. original comic drawings. Okay, we got to wrap yeah. up because we got 10 minutes before Dan has another podcast he's got to do. <laughs> okay, all right. But point being, the movie is fantastic comedically. The editing is absolutely gorgeous. However, the sum of the comedy is definitely a miss. For and John. you strike out a lot with a lot of the comedy for me. Alrighty. 
Sorry, Dan. We like we're we're at like no, an no, hour and a half. Yeah. <laughs> we're at an hour and a half as it is, and um, that's if we don't count in the fact that we have ten or fifteen what? minutes where we just, already. Yeah, we yeah. talked no, ten or wow. fifteen minutes without. <laughs> this is a two podcast. Yeah, so we're at an hour and a half already. Maybe an hour and fifteen if like I count the amount of time that we talked in the beginning we'll of to, it. I do think we should we should probably cut this into a part one, part two for everyone. No, I'm gonna we're gonna edit this. There's a lot that I have to edit out. But so let me just get through this then. So basically, guys, uh, is it or isn't it a Mikkel classic? Hands down, without a doubt, this has every single trope and every single uh, every single part of it being a cult classic. I cannot think of a reason why it would not be. And it's a star shiner of the cult classics I've watched. For sure. What about you, Dan? Yep, this is 100% a cult classic like it. It got more notoriety after it actually came out, and it's it's just kind of a perfect example of a cult classic. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I agree with you guys. It's a cult classic. It has every single thing in it that would make it a cult classic. It pushes the buttons, um, you know, of the viewers. Like, it's not really quite something that everyone would accept. It bombed in the box office and then did better afterwards. It has a lot of music in it that actually made it a cult classic. Beck was one of the artists that put together the band's music. So... Uh, there's also costumes in it that people cosplay, so I would definitely say that this is totally a cult classic. It has a huge fan By base. literally every definition. And like you said before, when you first initially watched it and you said this was probably going to be a cult classic, I mean, just that right there. If you have ever, if you watch a movie that comes out and you feel like it's going to be a cult classic, it probably is going to be one. For real. Alrighty, guys. Let's rate the movie. John, what would you rate it? Uh, I'm sorry. Let me be last because you guys are not going to like it. All right, Danny boy. What did you say? So I've been thinking about this, and it like kind of goes between two numbers, but I'm going to say uh, I'll give it a six. Damn, Dan. Jesus. Yeah. All right. I'm actually between a seven and an eight, to be honest with you, for this one, because I fucking loved it. There was a lot of things in it that you could really delve into, but there's a lot of things that are negative about it. Like, it's kind of sexist sometimes. It does have some racism in it. And it's also not really, it's little, it does have some homophobic tendencies in it. Not a lot, but some. Um, so I would say mm-hmm. seven. John? Okay. And I, I have a reason for this. I'm going to say a four. Jesus fucking Christ. And that is because I do not enjoy cringe humor. Cringe humor is very difficult for me to digest. And that encompassed most of this movie. It's actually one of the reasons why... Although my, Michael Sarah is a really awesome actor and I love him, I have a very difficult time watching most of his stuff because most of his stuff is cringe humor. All right. Okay. So last segment of the night, and then we'll close out the podcast so Dan can start his other one. Um, <laughs> would we recommend it? John? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'd recommend it. Um, two people that want to get into podcasts... For the first, I'm sorry, podcast. The people that want to get, yeah, to, if you want to do a podcast, watch this movie. Um, <laughs> the people that want to get into uh, cult classics, if you really are looking to open the can of worms, please pick this movie first. It is a very good, shiny example of what a cult classic should be. Okay. Yep, I will recommend it as well. Like, I, this movie is fun. Like, that's why I have to put it in the above a five. There's some things that I don't like that I don't, I don't think I'm going to be part of this fandom that like worships this movie because that's out there. But that's uh, definitely going to get my recommendation for sure. Um, I would obviously, since I rated the movie Nadine, better than both of you, you guys. Would you recommend? Yes, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Since obviously, since I rated it higher than both of you, I would recommend this movie. I think I'd probably be one of those people that would kind of fan over this movie simply because I love comics. I have not read the graphic novels yet, but I more than likely will. And in Dan and I's book podcast, we're probably going to review it at some point simply because it is one of those that is so huge and the world is so weird and you can, you can take it in so many different ways. I think it's a movie that you could totally get into if that's your kind of thing. I, can I, can I ask another question for you guys? What's that? Would you watch it again? Yeah, I watched it four fucking times. Mm, yeah. I would not. I think that is a one experience, and then after that, I do not want to ever see this movie again. John, you can't rewatch want... movies anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, no, I have some movies that I have rewatched multiple times, but this is going to go on the dust. It's going to no, go on the shelf. This, it's going to collect dust for the rest of the time. This movie I want to have on a, like a, a network TV, and so it's just kind of li- I can listen to the black background while I'm like doing my Saturday Sunday cho- chores or something. Yeah, I mean, even it's it's, it's, it's you can I'd listen, to, listen it. to music, dude. <laughs> you, can, you can watch. I like to I like to put on movies and do stuff as. But that's how I've seen Star Wars so many times. But but, but yeah, um, don't if you plan to watch this movie, which uh, we all recommend, um, please don't trust my rating exactly because this is partial to me. Um, most likely for I would trust Nadine and Dan's, but for me, I just really had a hard time pushing through this movie. So please watch it; you will most likely enjoy it. So um, we're gonna end the podcast here. Uh, just so you guys know, um, we are doing, uh, another, the fifth element next week. So, you know, you enjoy listening to us. You should totally pick, stop by next week. That one's actually from the movie list, not from, uh, you know, a movie that we picked that we thought might be a cool classic or is considered one, but not on the list. It is Dan's pick. Um, and it is probably not going to be liked by John. Let's be honest. (laughs) Okay, let's be honest. I have a hard time liking anything. I like I like some uh, Stellaris. That was it. We've done four movies. That was it, and that's the movie you guys didn't like as much. <laughs> no, we actually both I loved like... that. Yeah, yeah, we both said we, we liked Stellaris. it. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm I'm just a negative critic. Oh, you did a front flip into a diving board off of there into a pool. <laughs> you get a two. Anyway. This week was my pick. Obviously, um, we are going into a weird order, so. Just a heads up, next week is the first month of first week of July, so we're going back into the regular list. Dan's pick is going to be The Fifth Element. Um, if you guys have any movie recommendations or want to talk about movies with us, you can find us on Facebook through our private group, She's Not a Slut Yet. It's, a slut is an S with three stars. Or you can always email us at she's not a slut yet at gmail.com. And if you guys like what you hear, I know this is a little bit of a long one, but if you liked it, please review us. Uh, rate and subscribe um, you know it totally helps people find us it gets us out there we can have more listeners that could join the pot the Facebook group and we can all just talk about movies together sounds good to me yep all right guys we'll all see right, you I'm next tired. week it's been an hour and a half all right see you guys cheers <laughs> bye